0: The Ask NT Write Anything podcast. Welcome back to the show, I'm Justin Briley, sitting down with Tom Wright once again to ask your questions. Uh, we began this podcast at the end of 2018, and I'm pleased to say we've already had well over 100,000 downloads of the podcast. Many video views, too, over at the website. Thank you, everyone, who's been downloading the show, sharing it with others. And I just got done recording some great further editions of the podcast with Tom. So we've got so much great material coming your way soon. Uh, just a reminder, the show is brought to you by Premier in partnership with SBCK and NT Wright. I just want to say thanks to everyone also who's been rating and reviewing the podcast. Uh, We do have five stars out of five on iTunes uh, and lots of great comments there. Here are some of the recent ones. Uh, David said, so grateful to hear such wisdom. I've listened to several of NT Wright's lectures. Now here's the chance to get down to everyday Christian living. Thank you. Martin comments, excellent podcast. Tom Wright is always worth listening to. Another says, really superb, informative, inspiring and challenging in the sense of open Opening my mind to what the scriptures actually say and how to interpret them correctly within the context of their era, highly recommended. And Chris writes, Tom Wright is always worth listening to, and the podcast has excellent food for thought. What I didn't expect was that, as well as shedding light on his view of scripture, we learn more about him. He plays Bob Dylan on the guitar and does so at the end of the first episode. Yes, and he has uh, done that on a few more episodes since. And we've got more uh, from the playbook of Tom Wright for you in coming editions of the program. In fact. <laughs> Tom, Tom was joking with me that he he may soon start running out of his uh, back catalogue of material to share on the podcast. But hey, maybe we'll persuade him to bring his trombone in next time. But I'm really looking forward to sharing uh, some more great material uh, here on the Ask Him to Write Anything podcast do leave a comment and a rating wherever you get your podcast from if you've time it does help people to discover the show and um, share it also on social media if you can facebook twitter etc it all helps uh, if you want more episodes updates uh, or indeed any of the bonus content from the program again askntwrite.com is the place to go plus anyone who's signed up to the newsletter by the end of march also gets automatically entered into the prize draw for one of three signed copies of Tom's translation of scripture the bible for everyone Tom's translated the whole of the new testament and John Goldingay has done the old testament which is quite relevant for today and you'll hear why so do sign up now for the bonus videos the prize draw the newsletter and of course to ask a question that's all available at askntright.com Well, it's a great joy to be joined again by Tom Wright, N.T. Wright, as he's known in some of his more <laughs> formal writings, uh, for another set of recordings where we're going to be tackling all kinds of interesting questions <laughs> that have been sent in. Tom, thank you for coming in again. Thank you. My pleasure to be with you. Uh, we're ready with our biscuits, our fruits, <laughs> our bananas, our coffee. Uh, it's all fueling us for what look like a, a really interesting range of questions. Um, and we're going to be covering all kinds of things in future podcast episodes, including Genesis and science, pastoral questions, personal questions, the resurrection, uh, loads of interesting stuff to come. But we're starting it off with the Old Testament, mm-hmm. um, which I find, uh, especially among skeptics and uh, people who have objections to Christianity, often gets turned to when they want to say, look at the God you worship. Mm-hmm. Um, this comes up time and again on my other podcast show, Unbelievable, um, issues around. Old Testament warfare, violence, and Mm -hmm. so on. And there's a lot of questions that have come in from various people. Um, We're going to get to some issues around uh, a theologian called Greg Boyd, who may be familiar to many, who's written uh, uh, an interesting piece on this lately. But let's start, Tom, with Gray. Gray in Charlotte, North Carolina, and also Alex in Los Angeles, who both want to ask about Andy Stanley. Um, You may not be very familiar with him, but uh, here's Gray, who says Andy Stanley, a popular megachurch pastor and author in the United States, has recently published a book and given multiple talks to church leaders about the need for Christians to unhitch their faith from the Old Testament. He claims that we do not need the Old Testament in order for us to have a Christian faith, Because our faith rests on a historical event, the resurrection, and not on the authority of an ancient book. What do you think about this proposal? Is this pseudo-Marcionism? And you can explain who Marcion is in a moment. And Alex also asked a very similar question. What do you think of that new book by Andy Stanley, Irresistible, calling the modern church to decouple or unhitch ourselves
1: from the Old Testament slash Old Covenant? So... Well... First, I don't know the book, and I've actually never heard of this person until you sent me these questions. So um, I can't keep up with all the different things that that pop up in America. Um, And of course, there's a sort of an equal and opposite, because there are some churches in America where every last word of the Old (laughs) Testament is deemed to be load-bearing theologically. So it's kind of equal (laughs) and opposite. And it may be, for all I know, that this man who's written the book is uh, in reaction against those who say that unless Eve ate the apple on a certain time of a certain day then our whole faith collapses and he's just saying look for goodness sake leave that behind and go with mm. Jesus and the resurrection and of course Jesus and the resurrection that's what Paul talked about on the Areopagus that's in, in Athens um Paul didn't go back to the old testament at that point however Paul Himself, when he sums up his gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and following, he says the Messiah died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and he was buried, and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And when he's explaining to the Corinthians what the resurrection is all about, he draws on Psalm 110, Psalm 8, Psalm 2, uh, he draws on Daniel, He's, he's pulling together. All sorts of scriptural resources, Isaiah, etc. And particularly, actually also, from Genesis 1, 2, and 3. First Corinthians 15 has a whole lot of that there. So saying you can uncouple, that's pretty difficult. That's rather like... You know, in The Merchant of Venice, Shylock's being given a pound of flesh, but he's then told he can't take any blood. Mm. Um, and, ah, uh, <laughs> game off. Is, um, is it pseudo Marcionism as well? Well, sort of. Says. Marcion was a second century heretic uh, based in or around Rome who taught that the Old Testament God was different from the New Testament God and that uh, it's, a, it's a form of dualism. And one can see at a surface level why, because there are bits of the Old Testament which don't look like some of what we find in the New, and we'll come back to that. But Here's the point. Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, in the very different ways that they write their Gospels, they tell the story of Jesus as. The climax of the Old Testament. Mm. Um, you know, they do it in subtle ways, but it's there all through. Matthew, perhaps most obviously, all this happened, that it might be fulfilled. If you try and strip that out of Matthew, you won't be left with much, which is mm. why Marcion only had Luke, and he didn't like all of Luke either. <laughs> and, and he only had then had Paul, and he didn't like all of Paul either, because the early church is a Jewish movement whose whole raison d'etre is that what's happened in Jesus is the fulfillment of Scripture. Now, it's not the fulfillment in the sense that Scripture gives you this great mountain and Jesus is just a little can on the top. It is something new which also challenges the way that Scripture is being read, as we see with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Mm. But Jesus doesn't say on the road to Emmaus, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart, you were living in that silly old Old Testament. Let me tell you something new is happening. He said, you weren't reading it right. Right. Um, And that's the big difference. And so I I haven't read this man. Um, He may be being misrepresented by the questioners. (laughs) I may be misjudging him. I don't want to judge him. But I want to say the church has always struggled with living with the Old Testament. Different Mm -hmm. strategies for Mm -hmm. doing that have been tried from time to time. But that struggle continues, and I I don't think it's going away. We will come to some of those big issues around um, the picture of God. Painted in certain
0: parts of the Old Testament in a moment. But Stu in Australia has a different question. He says, I've heard many theories regarding the historicity of the Exodus, ranging from the account being 100% historical to. 100% mythical and everything in between. Uh, more recently, he says, Richard Friedman has proposed an interesting take that it was the Levites only that escaped and migrated out of Egypt. Do you have a take on it? <laughs> Do you think 2 million plus Israelites escaped Egypt and entirely replaced the local Canaanite locals? Do you think the number might have been less? Was it just the Levites? Love to hear your thoughts. Okay. <laughs> Tom, we, well, it is called Ask NT Write yes, anything. Though. A- absolutely. <laughs> no, these are great
1: <laughs> questions. I should say, Professionally speaking, I'm an ancient historian from 200 BC to 200 AD. (laughs) Whenever the exodus happened, it's a long time before that. So I do not claim to be up to speed. I haven't read the recent research on this. I do remember from years ago running into questions about the the date and the route and the numbers, etc. Did they go this way, that way? How long was it? And so on. And there's no doubt in my mind that the account in the book of Exodus has been written up with considerable theological and literary artistry. But like the Gospels, that doesn't mean it didn't happen, Mm. just that the book of Exodus is not giving us – and no serious reader should assume it does – a kind of what you'd have seen with a, um, t- a television camera perched on the edge of the mm-hmm. pyramids, actually, to, to, to watch them all go. It's not that sort of a book, but that doesn't mean that nothing happens. Sure. We in our culture really struggle with this. We we think it must either be all absolutely exactly as it happened, or it's all a lie, mm. um, and people wobble on that. And, and really, you don't need to. You need mm. to learn to read the Pentateuch, the first five books as a whole, see the story that's being told. And then the real focus is on rescue and law and presence. And the the rescue from Egypt, it's very emphatic that the people of Israel know themselves to be the rescued slaves, the freed Mm -hmm. slaves. That's just deep in the Jewish DNA. How that got there, if there wasn't an exodus, I have no idea. But then also, The giving of the law, something happened which they all construed as a meeting with the one true God. Mm -hmm. But the giving of the law wasn't so now you'll know how to behave. It was because I want to come and live in your midst. And for that, you need to be sorted out because you're messed up at the moment. And those things, again, are deep in the ancient Israel DNA. Long before the time of King David and Solomon. And I, I'm not sure how they got there if there wasn't, in fact, something like this mm, going on. Mm. Now, that's a very general thing. I do not know about the numbers. I gather there are different theories about what the meaning of some of these um, ancient Hebrew words for numbers may be. Um, I confess I couldn't count up to a thousand in ancient Hebrew if you put me on the spot. Um, I more or less recognize the words when I'm reading them. But, um, so I wouldn't claim to know about right. that. But I think, please, let's look at what the story is actually saying and not at not getting stuck on the tiny details. Yes. Yes, Again, I I would recommend as well, Stu,
0: um, for a bit more, uh, um, for at least just one perspective on this from both a Christian and a uh, sceptic. Uh, I did a very interesting program um, with um, Ted Wright of Epic Archaeology on oh, Unbelievable, oh, looking at different theories around the Exodus and that oh, right, sort of thing. But right. uh, I'll, I'll leave that in the yeah, link. I,
1: when I was originally studying, I found Old Testament archaeology absolutely fascinating. Mm. And for, for a few weeks, I thought, wow, maybe I should spend my life doing this. <laughs> and so I kind of look at that stuff um, uh, rather like one, one looks at somebody with whom one was yes. fleetingly in love. You know, yeah, that, that was well, really what nice. Does but it, to what does seem to
0: happen, though, rather like the New Testament, from what I see archaeological discoveries tend to
1: confirm rather than disconfirm yes that's that case can be overstated you know somebody gave me when i was young a book called the bible has history the subtitle Mm. was something like archaeology confirms Mm. the book of books Mm. so we found the flood and we found Mm, this and we've mm, got mm, that mm. and the answer is yeah actually there's quite a lot of that but there are always more questions of course archaeology is only ever a tiny bit of the evidence you know i said to the students yesterday in my seminar we're still waiting for them to dig up two philippians or three corinthians <laughs> i'd like to know what paul said about such or such. The, uh, <laughs> the 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 ending of mark or something like well, that uh, uh, yes absolutely we can get there <laughs> for you yes. well we'll do that
0: in a later podcast sure. actually someone's got a question Good. on that okay let's let's turn to this very serious issue uh, which is the warfare passages especially yeah, violence yeah. in the old testament um we'll come to the greg boyd sort of Mm -hmm. perspective on this in a moment but for now coburn in tacoma washington asks what are your thoughts on the conquest of canaan and the instructions from god to his people to kill women and children in the process i've always struggled to reconcile this what looks like genocide with the mission of god's people being to love and serve the world i'd love to hear how you've wrestled with that and what wider lens context or perspective you might have on the matter. And John asked the similar question briefly, how do you explain the horrific Old Testament accounts of God's judgment in the light of the New Testament change of emphasis? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I I, I wouldn't quite say the New Testament change of emphasis because that rather implies that what you have right through the Bible is a set of moral examples. And it's quite clear in many parts of the Old Testament that the story is not being told in any way. As a moral example, as this is how you ought to do it, guys. Sure. Um, and that, of course, that comes to a low point at the end of the book of Judges with those horrific stories, which mm. one hopes that nobody under the age of 21 would ever read, but I'm sure they mm. do. Um, and uh, so it, it's partly a matter of learning to read the Bible in terms of the whole sweep. And then it isn't a matter of, oh, well, the Old Testament says it's okay to do genocide, and then Jesus says it isn't. Mm. It doesn't work like that. Mm. And I think all of this comes down to the fact that when God makes the good creation, he calls humans to be his partners in making creation what he wants it to be. And that's kind of built into Genesis 1 and 2. This is uh, a world designed to work when humans are reflecting God's stewardship into the world. When the humans rebel... God doesn't say, oh, well, goodness, now that they've rebelled, we can't have humans involved with my plan. I'll have to do something quite different. God sticks with the original plan, which means that when he calls Abraham, Abraham as he still is then, Mm -hmm. um, God calls somebody who he knows, God knows, and the narrator of Genesis knows, is a very mixed up character. I mean, the story of Abraham oscillates from great moments of faith and obedience to disastrous moments of getting it wrong and cowardice uh, cowardice Mm. and getting everything upside down, Mm. inside out. So faith one minute and apparent unbelief the next, and then back to faith the next. And so the idea that Abraham is this great hero of faith, you know, when I was younger, people would give me books on um, the great men of faith and women of faith in the Old Testament, as though the stories were all simple, going from one heroic thing to another. Um, and you only have to think of David and Solomon and so on to see. uh, No, they're not like that, actually. So that right from the start, God's Israel-shaped plan, the Abraham and onwards plan, if you like, has built into it the fact that odd things are going to happen, which is something which God is eventually going to have to take responsibility for. And that's why I think the Old Testament as it stands Remains deeply, deeply ambiguous. And actually, Mm. I think it's one of the things Jonathan Sachs was exploring in his uh, recent book, Not in God's Name, Mm. um, where you get the Isaac and the Ishmael story. Mm. And he points out that um, the Hebrew words that are used are designed to push the reader's sympathy all onto Ishmael, even though we know that Isaac is the one who's going to come out smiling at the end of the day. Mm. Um, And likewise with Jacob and Esau. Uh, It's as though the writers of Genesis and the other books are saying, this was how it had to be, but there 's a deep ambiguity built in and I think mm. the canaanite stuff is 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 the most obvious example of that but then, when you read it from a Christian lens, part of the meaning of the cross of Jesus it seems to me is that the four gospels tell the story as this is how the whole story of Israel and the world gets funneled down onto one point and you, it'll only work. You can only understand it if you say this isn't just the story of a first century human being called Jesus. This is the story of God himself taking responsibility because he's made a world in which this was the only way that things could be dealt with. Mm. And now he's He's bearing it all himself. That I find not a comfortable thing, but then mm. the cross is never meant to be a comfortable mm. thing. Um, but it's a way of saying when I see the story whole, and all the multiple tragedies, you know, the Canaanite women, etc., and I see Mary at the foot of the cross, and a sword will pierce her soul also, etc., that there's something whole about that, which then with the resurrection says, and now that's been done, and we are starting a new world. And the Book of Acts is not about the church going out with swords Mm. and staves to beat everybody up. It's about a different kind of mission entirely.
0: Ask NT Write Anything podcast is brought to you by Premier in partnership with SBCK and NT Write Online SBCK Tom's UK publisher have recently released a very exciting project The Bible for Everyone a fresh translation of scripture by John Goldingay and Tom Wright it's a really insightful and very readable uh, translation of scripture and we've an exclusive podcast listener discount on it if you go to sbckpublishing.co.uk look for The Bible for Everyone and enter this at the uh, checkout nt right in capital letters all one word as well that's nt right in capital letters all one word at the checkout and you'll get uh, that exclusive podcast listener discount and later on i'll remind you how to enter for one of three signed copies of the bible for everyone as well A lot of people, as I mentioned, have been getting in touch regarding a particular um, hermeneutic that has been doing the rounds recently from Gregory Boyd, um, Greg Boyd, who is fairly well-known theologian. I think you've been Mm. at conferences together and that sort of thing, Missio Alliance Conference. Um, And his his book, his big two-volume book, The Crucifixion of the Warrior God, which, again, um, we've discussed on my other podcast, Unbelievable, with him. Um, and again, we can't really, in the 10 minutes we've got left, do justice to, to, to the, the fullness, obviously, of his argument. But let me let me at least give you the questions that have come in on this, and, and it'll give a, a sweep of some of the way people are at least understanding what he is saying there. Uh, Pamela in the US says, Greg Boyd suggests, as best I can read him in his recent book, that the difficult things said by God in the Old Testament are examples of God taking on a mask to relate better to the culture of the time, or allowing the people to assign things like genocide to him, even though God wouldn't really do that. His rationale seems to be that the death and resurrection of Christ show God isn't like those difficult aspects of the Old Testament. Marty in Saskatchewan—that's how you pronounce it. Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan. That's yeah, the one yeah, yeah. Um, in Central Canada. Central Canada. Yes. Um, Greg Boyd has recently released his two-volume book, Crucifixion of the Warrior God. In these volumes, he attempts to reconcile violent passages such as God's command to Joshua to wipe out the Canaanites. Um, He does this through what he calls literary crucifixes, in that just as Jesus allowed himself to be seen as a criminal in the eyes of many while on the cross, God in his grace only appeared to show himself as violent and retributive before the nations through Israel, where in reality Israel acted on its own behalf violently and merely attributed these commands slash actions to God. It seems to me in light of our postmodern Western sensibilities that in desire to protect God from any word or action that may offend, we, like Boyd, are re-envisioning scripture to meet these concerns. My question to you is, do you see validity in his thesis? And is the attempt more harmful than good? Uh, yeah. And let's go for one more uh, from here. Ron in Sioux Falls who says, how do you explain the different pictures of God we find in scriptures? Uh, in Greg Boyd's... Um, crucifixion of the warrior god uh, can somewhat understand this as a matter of perception seeing what they expected to see in the old testament author's but I don't find it totally satisfying, says Ron. I don't know if you you sort of personally have an idea of where Greg is coming from. Yes, yes, I do.
1: I mean, Greg and I were at a conference, as you said, um, a couple of years ago, which was fascinating, and he gave rather a long lecture. And uh, I had the same reaction as I did when you were reading those quotes just now, that to begin with I was thinking, yeah, I think maybe this will fly, maybe this will actually Mm. work. I have to say the more I listened to Greg, and he's a delightful guy, and we (laughs) hung out together and talked at length, um, the more I thought – I don't think that's quite right, but it's hard to put your finger on it, partly because we're dealing with such huge Mm. um, issues of many, many texts and themes and so on. Um, I, I do think that comment that you just read is important, that we have to beware of apparently rushing to God's defense. And no, 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 God wouldn't do that. You know, mm. Dietrich Bonhoeffer points out that the primal sin in Genesis is people putting the knowledge of good and evil before the knowledge of God. Mm. And that doesn't mean that God lives in a moral vacuum and that there is a total disconnect between God's view mm. of good and evil and our view of good and evil. But It rather implies, as Paul says in Romans 9, who are you, a human being, to answer back to God. And that we, you know, we always do have to be aware of that. Having said that, um, I think Greg is right to put his finger on something, not least because in his culture, more than in my culture, there is are people who seem to imply that, oh, well, God does redemptive violence, so then that's how you solve the problems of the world. You go and drop bombs on Iraq Mm. or whatever it is. And I think he's very much reacting in the present American political climate, which, again, many people in Britain um, simply aren't terribly aware of how all that works out in America. I've spent a long time in America, and I sometimes shudder at it. Mm. And so he's trying to say, no, we've got to distance ourselves from that. I would want to come at it a little differently because there is a major difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, um, and that is part of God's story with the world. And you have to understand the whole story, which, like a Shakespeare play, has these different acts, and you don't repeat Um, speeches from acts two and three say if you're in acts four or five um we're at a different point in the drama now that doesn't mean that it was bad what happened there Mm. it means something has happened which has changed the situation Mm. and obviously if you believe anything like the christian gospel the thing that's happened is jesus Mm. um so yes there is a change there is a shift and the um slaughter of the canaanites or whatever can never be a model although many Christians have mm, said to oh, yeah okay that that's that, yeah. that's what we have to do yeah. sort of thing which is which is terrifying when you think about it um I recall at the end of Genesis 15 when God is making the covenant with Abraham the basic covenant um he says that your descendants will be slaves in a land not theirs and I will rescue them and they will come out and I'll take them home to their own land in the fourth generation. Then he says, because the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet full, Hmm. which is a very interesting idea. And it goes with other Old Testament passages particularly, but also new, in which it seems that God's moral providence allows human beings to go from bad to worse, from bad to worse. And I'm not an expert on ancient Canaanite practices, but such little as I have read of that Mm. indicates that um, there were some things which were taken as routine whether it was child sacrifice or Mm. whatever Mm. which we today would find completely stomach churning not that we don't have some stomach churning things in our own world as well Mm. but in that context um, you can understand an ancient Israelite author saying the only word that God can say to this is total destruction Mm. putting it all under a ban now you know, we shudder at that. Uh, but I, I, so I'm saying I think Greg is raising important questions. I understand why they're coming particularly sharply within the American context. I wouldn't myself want to right. go all that route. I, I tell the story slightly differently. I mean, one, one perspective on this
0: I come across, and I think it's sort of in the, the general area of the, of the way Greg approaches this is, um, I mean, Greg speaks of the idea of God accommodating yes, yes. Um, to people's um, yes. understandings and yes. where they are in their culture.
1: Which, of course, is what Calvin says about the Bible in general. Calvin says God lisps in our language, you know, right. that, that, that the words of Scripture are human words which can't begin to express the majesty and glory of God but God graciously inspires these words in order to talk uh, our I language. mean Russell in Costa Mesa as part of a,
0: a longer question asks um, could it be that scripture is still important and inspired but we read it more as a journey of a people's progressive understanding of God in that sense, I mean, well, so many. The,
1: the word "progressive" has had a long <laughs> and checkered history, and particularly in the nineteenth century, people reached for that idea of a progressive revelation, mm. which then got hooked into various philosophical schemes. Mm. That well, at the beginning, they didn't get very much of it, and, and then with Moses, it got a bit mm. more, and then with David, it got a bit more. Actually, I don't see that at all. Right. I see Abraham. At his best, got as much of it as any of them right. did. David, at his worst, was worse than the yes, the rest yeah. of them. Um, so I don't see a progressive revelation, though I do see some cumulative things on both sides of the ledger. You have mm. to read Psalm one hundred and five and one hundred and six together. One hundred and five says. God brought us out of Egypt, he gave us the law, and we're his people, and hurrah, let's go, we'll be um, we great. Psalm 106 says, and we got it wrong, yeah. and then he forgave us, and then we blew it again, and mm. so he punished us, and then we said sorry, and then we, you know, you need both of those stories. And if there is progress, I, I think the way often people think of it is if, if,
0: you know, Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the, the, the best, rep, you know, the perfect representation of God, you know, this is God truly revealed in the true stamp in, in, of God's image. The true yes, stamp yes, of God's yes. image. Do the idea that, that it's through that image God gives us of himself that we then read, yes, understand yes. all of those other images that, and, and that may is, be more the, the, And this difficult. is why,
1: why Richard Hayes' short book on the Old Testament and the Gospels is called Reading Backwards. And mm. um, the idea that here is Jesus. This is where it was all going. And now, like the two on the road to Emmaus, we look back as, of course, mm. these things were all. And that includes all the times when they're getting it wrong. Because all the times when they're getting it wrong end up with the disciples running away, Judas betraying Jesus, Peter denying him. Those are the quintessential story of that that side of the Old Testament. Just like Mary and John at the foot of the cross are the quintessential, mm-hmm. um, the good side of the Old yeah, Testament, if yeah, you like. Yeah. But you need both because both contribute to the meaning of the cross where God takes the positive and fulfills it, and takes the negative and finally deals with it. I'm sure Greg would love to have a, a chat of his own with you about oh, yeah, it at sure. some point, and maybe, maybe that could happen. Who knows? <laughs> um, in any case, um,
0: lo- thank you so much for, for tackling all of those um, in a short space of time, Tom. <laughs> um, just a, a quick one to finish off with. This is, I think, it's pronounced Zombo in Hungary. Do you know any good Old Testament commentary suggestions <laughs> that you yourself like and would recommend for somebody starting? in ministry
1: and he says I'm well, particularly looking for commentaries that are like yours but written on the Old Testament. <laughs> well the ones that are explicitly like mine written on the Old Testament are by my friend and colleague John Goldingay who's done the full Old Testament people sometimes ask me are you going to do the Old Testament? So I say absolutely not <laughs> mine was a huge journey how John did that I simply don't know but yeah. he's done the whole Old Testament. And, and it should be mentioned we've got you yep. sitting here we, with us that the have. Bible for Everyone it's, published it's by SBCK. which is, is John's
0: is, Old Testament and mine New, exactly yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and he's done a whole series of commentaries right. himself of it, well, that's the, the, the Old, Old Testament, Testament for, everyone, for everyone Genesis for everyone yeah, yeah.
1: and, and they, they, are, they are great mm. um, I would also say even though I often disagree with him Walter Brueggemann remains a great guide right. mm. and always stimulating and provocative and mm. always with the needs of the pastoral and preaching yes. church at his heart Absolutely,
0: well there you go a few suggestions to get you started <laughs> Zombo um, For the moment Tom thank you very much Thank for you. delving into the <laughs> Old Testament uh, looking forward to what we may have encouraged uh, Coming weeks, But for the moment, thank you for listening. And uh, don't forget to rate and review uh, the podcast, uh, share it with others. And of course, get signed up to the mailing list uh, where you can find out more about all the special extra bonus content as well. Uh, that's available from AskNTWrite.com. And we'll see you again next time. Yes, indeed. Thanks for being with us on today's show. And just a reminder that we've three signed copies of The Bible for Everyone to give away. It's a hefty old prize, I can assure you. Uh, it's actually not just Tom Wright's translation of the New Testament, but as we heard, John Goldingay's translation of the Old Testament. So uh, if you're subscribed to the newsletter, you will be entered automatically into that prize draw. Just make sure you are subscribed by the end of March if you're not already. Uh, Signing up also gets you access to bonus video content, the fortnightly newsletter and means you can ask a question too. So go over to askntright.com and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Ask NT Write Anything podcast. Let other people know about this show by rating and reviewing it in your podcast provider. For more podcasts from Premier, visit premier.org.uk slash podcasts.